Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I'm Tiziana Deering, in for Meghna Chakrabarty, and this is On Point. I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you that I know what to do. But it's like we put our trust in the healthcare system, that these individuals are, are skilled, are competent. They know what they're doing. But in this case, it's, it's hard to believe that they made this many mistakes. It's, it's heartbreaking. Anthony Wallace is a social worker and a counselor at an elementary school in Indianapolis. He moved there from Alabama with his wife, Shanice, in 2017 to complete her residency in pediatric medicine. A few years later, they decided they wanted to start a family. Shanice came off of birth control. And then the early part of 2020, it was around Valentine's, where we actually realized that we were pregnant. And we was just like, oh, yeah, we're pregnant already. So we were very, very, very excited. For the most part, our pregnancy process was pretty smooth, but went to the routine appointment and they had found protein in her urine. And so protein in the in the urine is a sign that you're high risk for developing preeclampsia. That's one of the signs. She was telling me she was having headaches, which is also a sign. And so the doctors should have had a more sense of urgency then and tell her. Instead, they told her, you know, you're fine. Even though there is protein in your urine, it's not that much. So you should be okay. It was October 20th when she went for a routine doctor's appointment and they told her she had developed high blood pressure. They tell her they're going to admit her to the hospital. She was complaining about pain, you know, in her body. And it was kind of dismissed, not kind of, it was dismissed to hear from the physicians, them saying, you know, you could be experiencing some anxiety and, and stressing out and things like that is what they were saying to her. And she's telling them like, no, like I'm, I'm hurting. Her voice was still dismissed, even though she was a physician herself. With her developing high blood pressure, they tell her, you know, we are going to do an emergency C-section because the preeclampsia is just developing really fast. And our beautiful daughter is born to us on October 20th, 2020. They told me that the delivery went well, but our blood pressure was really, really high. But after the C-section, our blood pressure went really, really low. And so from there, they were trying to get her blood pressure, you know, back to normal. I was able to um, visit the ICU. I was told that I would have to leave every day at, at six. Because of COVID, I was ripped of being able to just sit with her, hold her hand, comfort her. Text message that she sent her mom that I, I, I can still, I still read it. She was like, I... Mom, I'm really scared. Anthony had to leave. He couldn't stay. And um, I just wish I could have stayed with her. 
It was just um, a middle of the night phone call saying that they think she potentially may have had a seizure, but that she was unconscious. They just told me to get to the hospital. And when I got there, that's when they told me she was she was brain dead. Even in the midst of this, I was just like, you know, things can't be so bad that she's going to die. I, n I never thought that. Not once through, through the time we were in the, after delivery in the ICU, I'm just like, you know, they, they know what to do to get her, her blood pressure back to normal. I trust that they know what to do. This is, this is something that's simple, right? This is something that's, that's easy. From a human being perspective, I don't, I don't understand why. But if we just speak in terms of realistically the world we live in, being that she was a Black woman, and we know that Black women in this nation experience a high, high rate of maternal mortality. And so that's the only thing that I have to go off of because she should be here. Dr. Shanice Wallace should be here. This was definitely preventable. That was Anthony Wallace. His wife, Dr. Shanice Wallace, died on October 24th, 2020. She was 30 years old, and her daughter, Charlotte, turned two last fall. To put a number on that high, high rate of maternity mortality for Black women that Anthony Wallace mentioned, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention published data last month that revealed that in 2021, a black woman was 2.6 times more likely to die of maternal causes than a white woman. So to help us understand what's behind that and what we can do about it, we're joined now by Helena Grant. She is president of the New York State Association of Licensed Midwives, and she has been a midwife herself for 27 years. Helena, welcome to On Point. Thank you. We're also joined by Kimberly Seals Allers. She is a journalist and author, host of the podcast Birthright, which describes itself as a podcast about joy and healing in Black birth. She is also the founder of the Earth app, that's birth, but without the B for bias. It's an app for Black and brown women to find and leave reviews of maternity and pediatric physicians and birthing hospitals in the U.S. She joins us from Queens, New York. Kimberly, welcome to you as well. I don't hear Kimberly's response there. I'll start with you, Helena. And I feel like we should just start, Helena, with your reactions to Anthony's story. Well, Anthony's story are, is heartbreaking. Um, and it's like um, so many other stories that I've heard, unfortunately, over the years. And what screams out to me when I hear these stories over and over again um, is about a word that I like to use um, because it really um, overshoots um, and really umbrellas what this issue has become about for me. And that's about the lives of Black women and them being expendable. Um, these things would not keep happening to Black women all over the United States of America if the lives of Black women um, were, were of worth and of value um, to uh, the society um, at large um, and were not um, of value to the hospital and care systems 
um, that we enter into to be cared for. And Helena, I, 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 um, actually, let me have you hang on. I think we have Kimberly Seals Allers with us now. Kimberly, do we have you? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. And I do want to give you a chance too, Kimberly, to react to the story that we heard from Anthony Wallace. Yeah, the story about Dr. Shanice Wallace and every other Black woman who's died unnecessarily is tragic. Um, And as Helena is mentioning, it is a a deep systemic and structural problem in our country. Um, And so for us to get to the bottom of it, we really have to have uncomfortable but necessary conversations about the role of racism and bias in care why people are not being heard and listened to so that we can actually address these issues in a more meaningful way. So I'll come back to you, Helena, as someone who has been a midwife for 27 years. And in your first reaction to Anthony Wallace's story, you talked about Black women's lives not being valued, being expendable. And you said that's what this issue has become for you, this issue of black maternal health and these really incredible disparate rates of um, morbidity and mortality for black women, especially versus white women here in the country. Is that something that emerged for you over nearly 30 years of practicing midwifery? Is, Is it an emerging realization? And what kinds of things did you see in hospitals and in birth settings that made you say, wait a minute? Well, I think it it was emerging for me um, because in the early part of my career, um, I was seeing behaviors as a nurse. I come through the certified nurse midwife track. Um, So I was a nurse first. And part of the very reason I became a midwife was because of the different philosophy um, of care um, and seeing in my first hospital that I worked in uh, as a nurse that um, clients were segmented out white elite, um, upper uh, um, privileged clients with wealth were seen by their private physicians. Black and brown women um, were seen by the resident training staff um, and were used um, to be taught on. And so me seeing um, this very stark disconnect in the services that black and brown women were getting versus white women was my first clue to um, the unpacking of this issue. Over time, um, just then becoming a midwife and growing um, in this field and coming to these deeper understandings, yes, absolutely. I'm seeing that when black women complain of pain, when they have other symptomatology, when they are complaining about things that are adjacent to, but sit outside and affect their health, that these things just don't get addressed. There is not a holistic mechanism in um, in place to treat the whole patients, the social determinants of health are not recognized um, by the medical profession. And and hearing some of my physician colleagues say straight up, we're not not taught to deal with that. Um, And so these things get missed. And even when there are no social determinants of health, because we know that these rates happen um, to Black women who um are who have our masters and doctoral prepared it so, doesn't matter so that's the- um this constant um ignoring 
of their symptomatology and their voice. That's the perfect place to just jump in for a moment, Helena Grant. You know, there is data from the National Bureau of Economic Research showing that for the every 100,000 of the richest black mothers in the country, 437 will have a rate of infant death compared to 350 of the poorest white mothers. So even controlling for socioeconomic status. Listen, there's so much more to talk about. I'm going to ask you both to hold on. Helena Grant, Kimberly Seals-Allers. We are talking about the black maternal health crisis in the United States and what we can do about it. Much more conversation to come. I'm Tiziana Deering. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash On Point. That's Indeed.com slash On Point. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. This is On Point. I'm Tiziana Deering, and this hour we're discussing the black maternal health crisis here in the United States and how to fix it. We're joined by Helena Grant, who is president of the New York State Association of Licensed Midwives, and Kimberly Seals-Allers, an award-winning journalist, author, and founder of the app Earth to help black mothers navigate racial bias in the maternal medical system. And I want to pick up there, Kimberly, and ask you, in the app, what are the kinds of comments and information that you see women exchanging with each other as they're seeking care and comparing their experiences with doctors and hospitals across the country. Mm -hmm. It's so important and interesting because much of it goes exactly to what Helena was saying. And I just wanted to briefly add some historical context to this idea of value, right? Because remember when Black women were enslaved, we actually had high economic value to the system, to the capitalist system, to slave owners, because we could breed and we could feed, right? And so actually we when, when we had economic value to the system, we were actually more protected. The minute that we stopped having economic value to the capitalist system in this country, we actually, there was a process of being devalued ourselves, our children, and this is what is happening today. Um, and we see this so much in our Earth App reviews. And I like to remind people that when we talk about racism and bias, I know people think of it as epithets and tiki torches, but that's not what we're talking about. Dr. Kamara Jones um, talked about racism as assigning value, assigning value based on skin color and other things. And that's exactly what we see. We see that people are assigned value often along the lines of race, but also on the lines of how many children they have, what number of pregnancy this is, um, their income, their insurance type. And that value, quote unquote, is re actually becomes judgment. 
And that judgment determines what type of care you are going to receive. What's the quality of care that you're going to receive? So many things. So we see right now the number one negative experience being reported in the Earth app nationwide. And we have reviews from 47 states, almost 10,000 reviews. Number one is my request for help were ignored or refused. Number one. Number two, my pain levels were dismissed. Uh, Number three, I was scolded, yelled at, or threatened, deeply concerning. Uh, Number four, physical privacy uh, being violated. Number five, assumptions based on racial stereotypes. We see all sorts of things. I read a prenatal review where a mama went to uh, her appointment with her husband and was asked to return with her marriage certificate. I'm not sure what your marriage certificate has to do with your prenatal care, um, but this is what happened to her where she was being judged and she had to prove that she was actually married. That's a that's a judgment. Too many reviews where people feel like they're being coerced into birth control while they're in active labor. Too many reviews, and I said this at publicly at a conference where people are reporting that their male partners, their black men, are being called Mr. Baby Daddy, not being addressed respectfully. It runs the gamut, right? And what we want to do is use Earth as an early warning detection system, particularly something like pain levels being dismissed, requests for help being ignored. We know that in every maternal death story, including Dr. Shanice Wallace, somebody's pain levels were ignored. Somebody asked for help and it was refused. And we use Earth as an early warning detection system. Instead of trying to learn from the grave when people die, we want to learn from the living. We want to use this robust data to help hospitals improve. So you've given us, and and I'll just backtrack and just note that uh, Dr. Uh, Kamara Jones is at Oregon State, uh, an epidemiologist and physician, and you've given us um, sort of a foundation there, Kimberly Allers, of the kinds of treatment that we're seeing, these systemic um, implicit bias, explicit bias, uh, and and racist experiences that you're hearing from the women who are using the app. I'm going to turn back to Halim. Lena Grant now for a minute, because there's another complicating factor I want to bring into the mix here, Helena Grant, and that is a move also towards more surgical intervention in hospitals. So, for example, um, the World Health Organization recommends that C-sections be used in about 10 to 15 percent of birthing cases. In the United States, they're used closer to 30 percent of the time, and that is a 500 percent increase since the 1970s. But we know that when you introduce major surgery, that increases the likelihood of complications. Now, we put around that envelope everything we just heard from Kimberly Seals Allers, and one can imagine how problematic that can be. I know for you as a midwife, that's an area of concern as well. So address that for us, Helena. It's a serious concern because we know, I'll just give this New York State statistic, two-thirds of all maternal mortalities, so that's of all women who die in New York State. The New York State uh, Department of Health um, has said that these deaths were in some way related to having had a cesarean birth. So we know that the, the statistics for surgical birth in the United States are very high. Um, We know that once you have the first C-section, and I don't like to use the word C-section, but the first C-section, that a lot of times when you go back to have that second baby, um, women are then being told, well, you had the first C-section and now you need to have another one, which is totally, totally false. 
Or women are told, sure, sure, you can have a vaginal birth after having the first C-section. And then they're tricked. And then when they get to around the ninth month, the, the provider or the physician that they're seeing is like, well, we think now, we told you that before, you should just go on and have another cesarean section. What that does is set women up for increased risk for poor placental implantation. And that means the placenta now has these scars that it can implant and sit on, which then increases the woman's risk of bleeding, um, infection, more scar tissue has to be cut through to get to the baby and the subsequent cesarean after cesarean after cesarean, which leads to very increased risk of hemorrhage and then which could lead to possible death. So, Helena, and I'll so, stop you there for just a second. I am mindful that there will be those listening who will say, and, and as, a, as a white woman who had an emergency cesarean section, and it was very scary, but there will be those who will say, well, there are times when it is necessary um, so, so just address that in your concern about, you know, what's necessary, what's not, and how to proceed with birthing. They're definitely necessary. I had one too for some, <laughs> so for some malposition twins, but there are reasons. And the World Health Organization exists for a reason. Um, and the World Health Organization has said for years, the rate should be between 10 and 15%. But there is no movement because of the medical technocratic patriarchal model and capitalism. More money is made when there is our cesarean births. Um, so there, there, there's no incentive to care um, for women. And also it's faster. So you're looking at a, a, a issue where there's more capital being made. And also you're looking at a time expenditure that doctors don't have to have. Being patient would allow women's bodies to do what they know how to do. So I want to bring in another voice here, uh, Helena Grant and Kimberly Seals-Allers. And I'm, I'm also going to note, um, actually, that uh, the doctor that we were referencing earlier, Kamara Jones, is actually at Morehouse. So thanks for that correction from the team. I'm going to bring in another voice here, Representative Alma Adams, who is a Democrat out of North Carolina. She's in the 12th district, and she is the co-founder of the Black Maternal Health Caucus and the co-sponsor of the Momnibus Act. Helena, Kimberly, please stay with us because I am going to come back to you in a moment. For now, Congresswoman Adams, welcome to On Point. Thank you very much. It's good to be with you. So, Congresswoman, the Momnibus Act introduced in 2021, 12 parts to it. Um, and I, I think I want to start by asking you, why was it so important to you to introduce this act? Why for you is this is maternal health critical? Well, from, from all the things that I've heard uh, as I've listened to uh, the individuals who spoke uh, uh, just a moment ago, uh, I, I just have to reiterate that black women in America die in childbirth three times the rate of white women and, and American women die uh, at a rate much higher than other wealthy nations. But for me, um, I had a personal experience with my daughter uh, who had preeclampsia. Of course, they didn't know it at the time, and, and her pain was dismissed. And, of course, uh, she had to have a, a cesarean uh, section, and uh, we almost lost her and, and, uh, and my granddaughter, uh, who my daughter, granddaughter now is uh, 16. So that's been uh, 16 years ago. Uh, but those are the things that really let me know that because of the crisis, because the state of black maternal health in America is a crisis, 
And I felt then and I still feel now that we needed to urgently address it. And so uh, that's why we got into this work. And, and uh, my um, colleague from Chicago, uh, from Illinois, uh, actually Lauren Underwood and I, and, and of course our our um, former Senator Kamala Harris, who's now our vice president, uh, joined with us and we introduced it for the first time. And uh, we've been still working on it. And of course, it's going to address a number of the things that we've been talking about, social determinants of health that, that influence maternal health outcomes, funds for community-based organizations to improve maternity health outcomes. It's going to uh, diversify the perinatal workforce that will improve maternal, maternal care. It will support moms with mental health. So it's a comprehensive approach, uh, which we believe and know from all of the data uh, that will really help uh, address this, uh, this situation and that hopefully we, will, we can put our arms around this crisis and not have it. Uh, because it, these deaths are preventable, and that's one thing we have to keep in mind. So, Congresswoman, there are a few things that I want to hit on in these 12 points. But first, we've used this term social determinants of health a few times in this conversation already. And, and I do want to just define that term um, because it comes up a lot. Um, how would you define, and when you're talking with your constituents, how do you define the social determinants of health? Well, you know, there's, there are many things that we have to look at. <clears throat> For example housing, transportation, nutrition, all of these things uh, are serve as a support base uh, for, uh, for women. And so these, and if they don't have those, in other words, they need those things uh, to help, uh, help them as they're going through uh, the, um, uh, the, the going through this whole period of not only uh, preparing to give birth, but ultimately uh, once they give it and afterwards. So we're talking about midwifery uh, support. We're talking about doulas and, and other kinds of uh, perinatal um, uh, health uh, workers as well. So these are things that must be available uh, for women as they are looking to uh, give uh, birth to, to that child. All right, let's break this down some, Congresswoman. First, um all right. Actually, what I want to do is I want to break down kind of the experience of maternal health, black maternal health um, from uh pre-birth, pre-delivery, you know, the pregnancy time, then there's the birthing and delivery experience, and then there's postnatal experiences. Um, and there can be risks to health, um, risk of death throughout that time. And we know from recent studies, including from the Centers for Disease Control, that women have uh, different experiences throughout sort of that life cycle from mental health risks to cardiac risks to surgery risks. Um, you've talked about the perinatal workforce, maternal mental health supports. We also know that your race um, may change which are the highest risk factors for white women and Hispanic women. Um, mental health factors can be the highest. Cardiopathy is higher for black women. How are, uh, how are your colleagues in Congress talking about and thinking about the investments that need to be made through this entire cycle of experience uh, for black women in order to provide better supports and reduce the risks? Well, one of the things that we are looking at, of course, is, is the momnibus uh, and really trying to push that, um, that uh, package of legislation along. 
uh, when when the president uh, was focusing on the Build Back Better and we were trying to get that done, uh, we had all of uh, this whole package actually in there, and we would have been able to uh, to get it. But of course, we didn't we didn't get to build back better, and of course that th- those uh, bills were. Uh, were kind of set aside, but we're continuing to work on them. I think, uh, you know, knowledge is power, and that's what makes the difference in lives and communities. And so it also is what makes the difference in in terms of of communicating with members of Congress, Uh, because this issue is not a partisan issue. It should not be. Uh, Health is is not partisan. This issue, you know, we're seeing that uh, white women are dying, women, other women are dying as well. So, and I'm just glad that we're beginning to now nationally focus on uh, all women. Uh, and in that process, we are looking at and talking about black women, too. It is the so, case, though, that, you know, the bill came out in 2021. As I understand it, the piece that has been signed has to do with health of veterans. Why has it been hard to get the other 11 pieces of this bill? It does seem, Congresswoman, like this should be as bipartisan as anything that Congress is looking at. Why is it hard to get some of the rest of this across the finish line? Well, uh, you know, most things in Congress move, move, move slowly, but you are absolutely right. Uh, this is, uh, we, are, we are in a crisis here. Uh, and, um, I, I, you know, we, we don't have, I, I think sometimes we have to have our constituents really speak to us. And, and as I've listened to uh, the, the stories uh, that you've aired, uh, it, um, uh, you know, those things are, I mean, they, they just make your, your, your body shiver. Um, I think we have to increase the sensitivity among our colleagues. And oftentimes uh, it's not there. Um, but we're going to continue to advocate, and we, we have uh, a number of individuals and organizations that are working uh, with us to help us to do that. Um, but, you know, we can we can take our one vote and we can add it to others. But I think overall it has to do with really trying to continue to press the point uh, and to push these bills. You're right, we've had one uh, bill to pass out of this package. But I also want to mention that uh, when we looked at the investments um, that we were able to get in some of the past um, appropriations, uh, some of the there was some funding uh, that was kind of spread out that will help us in some of these areas. Some pieces of many of the bills or several of the bills were there. So, but we, we're still working on it. Uh, we're not going. We're going. We're pressing this issue. And I think the more we hear about it nationally, as I've continued to hear on on the stations, uh, people are pay, beginning to pay pay attention to it. So, you know, we, we, we haven't lost faith in this. We're continuing to, to work and uh, to make sure that uh, not only is Congress aware, but that we do something because we ha- we must do something. No mommy, no child. Uh, should should die. That that is something that is preventable, and that's what we're working on, making sure that we can right. get these bills across the finish line. All right, Representative Alma Adams of North Carolina, stay with us. Helena Grant and Kimberly Seals Allers also stay with us. When we come back, we will turn our attention on Black maternal health towards future solutions. More to talk about. I'm Tiziana Deering. This is on point.
did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. This is On Point. I'm Tiziana Deering, and this hour we are discussing the black maternal health crisis in this country and how to fix us. Fix it. With us, Congresswoman Alma Adams, who is a Democrat from North Carolina's 12th district. She is the co-founder of the Black Maternal Health Caucus and a co-sponsor of the Black Maternal Health Momnibus Act of 2021. We're also joined by Helena Grant, who is president of the New York State Association of Licensed Midwives, and Kimberly Seals Allers, award-winning journalist and author and founder of the app Earth, which is to help black mothers navigate racial bias in the maternal medical system. Just before the break, we were talking with the congresswoman about this 12-part legislative package, challenges with getting it passed. Helena Grant and Kimberly Seals-Allers will have to let the Congresswoman go in a minute. Before we do, I want to bring the two of you back in. We've talked about the 12 pieces, everything from the perinatal workforce to mental health support, social determinants of health, funding for uh, for community-based organizations. I'd like to ask each of you, what would you say would be the priority next in that package? Yes, everything's important. But what would you push for based on what you've seen, Helena Grant? Well, first, I want to thank um, the uh, uh, Congresswoman for her work. Um, It is truly legacy work. Um, And um, New York midwives stands ready to increase this workforce. I'm a midwife. And so I want to be honest when I answer these questions. I do have a bias. I know that midwives and we know that midwives decrease maternal mortality, morbidity simply by the way that we practice in the United States um, of all industrialized nations. We have less midwives in the workforce as perinatal prenatal birth um, health providers than any of our industrialized counterparts. It's deeply problematic. Um, And we don't see the rates of maternal mortality and morbidity that we see in the United States um, when we look um, at our um, counterparts and other nations. And so, you know, if I had to pick, I'm going to say, let's start with um, some more midwifery care. Um, Let's increase that workforce. And then I think my second would be mental health. 
I am a, a New Yorker and I see major issues with the non-access of mental health providers um, in New York State. And I think that we answer these questions based upon our ecosystem. Perfect. Kimberly Seals Allers, how about you for Congresswoman Alma Adams? Yes, an important conversation. Also want to lift up Congresswoman Adams' work. And then I would just add, you know, what we're missing is accountability and transparency. One of the things that we do with Earth, yes, it provides our community front end reviews, but on the back end, we turn those reviews into data so that we can uh, help hospitals improve, that we can have a community-centered monitoring mechanism. So we see much legislation about anti-bias trainings, for example, but nobody ever checks back in with the community to see if that uh, training has improved the lived experience of care. And so that's where we would like to see more effort that whatever is implemented, that there's community accountability, someone is checking back in with the community, and that feedback is transparent and ultimately belongs to the communities being most impacted by this issue, because I think that is what we need to drive the systems change that's necessary. And to um, Helena's point, in addition to the individuals that um, we need to have a perinatal workforce that actually can save lives and do not view birth as a medical event. We also need the systems work. It's just not about individuals. It's not about the doula or the midwife or the people and their advocacy tools. We have to have more work addressed on the system. That is the work that we do with Earth to really help hospitals and health systems hold themselves accountable to the community. We think that's the most important accreditation that you could ever have. And so I think one once we can get these bills moving, we can add some more accountability. Think about having more than one option. I find in America, where we are obsessed with choice, it is deeply concerning that most uh, Americans, black or white, don't have any other option for giving birth except going to a hospital when, in fact, they are not sick. And so I think if we can think differently about our systems, start holding folks accountable, drive that transparency, we will get there. Congresswoman. Wow. Well, thank you very much. Um, listen, I, we, we, we'd like to and need to do all of those things, and I certainly support what, the, uh, what those ladies have said. Um, I, I, as I look at uh, the package and, and the bills, I, and of course I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Kira Johnson Act, which will do uh, many of the things that they've just talked about in, in terms of, of mental health. Uh, we've mentioned the social determinants uh, as it relates to midwifery um, and, and the, the bias training, the racism and discrimination trainings for all employees in maternity care settings. Uh, that consistent uh, bias, we need to not only uh, have programs to, um, uh, to study it, uh, but, but I think if we're able to continue to, to, to work on these areas, um, I think uh, many of the other things will, we, we can add. And certainly as, we, as you pass legislation, whether it's in the, at the congressional level uh, or even the state level, um, there are opportunities to amend. And certainly we, we work with our partners uh, to make sure that we are doing uh, what um, they think is, is best. And this is how we actually came about uh, developed the omnibus. You know, we we had uh, stakeholders who were involved in helping us to uh, prepare this document. All right, uh, Representative Alma Adams, Democrat of uh, North Carolina, represents the twelfth district. I want to thank you for joining us um, uh, here on On Point. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
So I'll turn back to you, Helena Grant and Kimberly Seals Allers now. And I want to pick up on a couple of threads. I'm thinking back to early in the conversation and both the data you were bringing forward and the frustration you were both expressing around communication, listening to black women, believing them when they talked about being in pain, paying attention in hospital environments when they are advocating for themselves, et cetera. And as we move into this solution space, I'm going to play a little sound for you here. This is Dr. Neil Shaw, who is the chief medical officer at Maven Clinic. He's an OBGYN in Boston. And he says one of the biggest things that needs to improve when it comes to maternal health care is teamwork and communication between the medical team and the patient. His team has been developing some best practices. So what we did is we took the same dry erase whiteboard that's in every inpatient room in every hospital in America and usually is is like small and is for nurses to just kind of take notes for themselves and very variable in information. And we made it large so that everyone in the room can see it, especially the mom. And we structured it with like four pieces of information, who's on the team, what the roles are, the things that only the mom can tell you, which include, you know, symptoms, preferences, but also things like how much energy she has to push. There's a place where you write down the plan. And then the most powerful part is there's a place where you write down when the team is going to get back together again and talk about what's happening. Today in 2023, in most places, moms feel like passengers on a plane that's being held on a tarmac without anybody telling them what's going on. And so that simple step goes a long way towards aligning the team. And I want to note that this method has been tried in hospitals across the nation. And according to at least one multi-hospital study, it contributed to fewer C-sections and maternal deaths. Helena Grant, you know, you working in a hospital environment, you hear the whiteboard and you're like, really? Whiteboard and markers? But the idea of the simplicity of complete transparency with the woman's preferences right there on the board uh, and expectations that there is follow up in the room and outside the room, there is a power to that. Talk about that. Um, Sure. There is definitely a power to that. And that's a great start. Because what what Dr. Shaw is doing is called the shared decision-making model that midwives have had since the beginning of time, pulling the patient into the, the care of themselves, giving them choice, giving them autonomy, um, using a feedback mechanism to examine their preferences, to review them with the team, and really opening up that space of dialogue. Um, And so, you know, using the whiteboard is a mechanism. It is one mechanism um, to do that. Um, And, you know, does that actually create a whole culture shift? Um, I'd be interested to see what the research says, because, again, we have the whiteboard and we're pulling the patient in more. But in hospital systems where there's only one provider type, and they, they are have MD or DO behind their name. They are taught a certain way. And so am I sure that a whiteboard is going to change the philosophy by which they give care completely? I don't think so. But do I think that the whiteboard and building, um, you know, bringing the patient in is great? Yes. But the mechanisms by which women give birth, the philosophy, the mentality and the consciousness around what Kimberly mentioned, birth not being an event to manage, but being something that is an experience that a birthing person is going through. I don't see that being infused in hospital environments just by way 
of adding a board. So so stay with me. I'm building two pillars here that we're then going to bring together. And I've done the first with you, Helena Grant, Kimberly Seals-Allers. I'm going to do the second with you. You've developed the app, Earth. Um, I'm bringing Dr. Neil Shaw's voice back in here from the Maven Clinic um, with an app in mind. They are supporting in-person care with an app. The idea is additional 24-7 medical care outside the birthing team before, during, and after pregnancy, something that most people don't have access to. As an obstetrician myself, you know, for the last decade and a half of my life, every friend and family member who was pregnant would call me. It was so clear to me that from those experiences that people are seeking more care and support from sources that they trust. And I know as a doctor that there's only so much you can do in a punctuated 15-minute visit with people. Like when, when they have questions, it happens at like 2 a.m., you know? And I feel like I've made a big difference for my friends and family members by being accessible in that way. And I think that everybody should have access to something like that. Dr. Shah goes on to note that given the fact that a third of maternal deaths occur before birth and a third after, access to 24-7 care during those times is essential. It also strikes me that an app allows for the removal of things like implicit bias, potentially, Kimberly Seals Allers, you know, as one who works in the technology field as well, has developed an app. Is there potential there? And and we will come back to the culture shift piece. I want to I want to note that. But is there potential there for some changes in behavior by, you know, sort of bypassing some of the structural weaknesses that we currently have in place in our healthcare system? Well, I think that it's important to realize that going back to what I said before about Whose responsibility is it for the care, right? And so I love all these tools. I think Maven is an amazing platform, lots of great things. But again, ultimately, who's responsible for my care as a birthing person? And so I love this idea about this access, which allows you to get more information. I'm concerned that we are putting more burden on the birthing person that you have to seek the care. You have to get the questions answered. You have to advocate. What about the person who's being paid to do their job, right? And so I would um, love to see technology also used to help hold systems accountable for the work that they are literally being paid to do. Also, I want to note that one thing we have seen deeply in our Earth App reviews is that when people do advocate for themselves, there's often, they feel like there's been retribution for that. You know, darned if you do, darned if you don't. And so just to be careful about who is valued enough to be able to uh, receive that advocating when it happens by a black and brown person, because many times they are penalized for speaking up, for being knowledgeable. And so we really want to understand the way that advocacy in itself has its own biases. Um, And so I just want to highlight those two points in saying that technology holds great promise for us to um, improve maternal care across the board, but it cannot be one-sided putting more and more tools and telling people what they have to do as the birthing folks and not enough directed toward holding systems accountable, uh, driving more transparency, which can also help hold folks accountable. So I just want us to make sure that we have that balanced perspective. And so there's the moment, right? In this last couple of minutes that we have, you know, Helena Grant, I heard that frustrated chuckle where you were like, yeah, it's a white word. We've been doing that since the dawn of time outside of hospital environments. And I hear both of you saying, 
you know, fundamentally, there are some massive culture shifts about whose experience we value, whose voices we value, uh, whose lives we value. So I, I want to ask each of you to sort of give your last thoughts about where does the really profound culture shift begin, Helena Grant? I'd say it begins in the education of anybody who has accepted a calling um, to care for birthing people. Um, there is a work that has to be done. That is a work that should be part of your medical, your nursing and midwifery training, but it's not. And it is a work of consciousness. It is a, it is a work of understanding history. And it is a work of marrying um, the history of the racist medical practices in the United States of America to your current practice and the reality of those you serve. That is the work. Medical, nursing, and midwifery education need to shift. It needs to change. And then we need to be making these, these, these new ideas, this unpacking that where we have put new information applicable um, in spaces where people um, give birth. And I think then we'll see more of a change. And Kimberly Seals Allers, last uh, thought to you. Where do you think the culture shift begins? Yeah, I think there are two key places. One is to honor community-centered solutions. You know, I often say whatever the question, the answer's in the community. And I think we have to deal with this hierarchy of of who is considered knowledgeable, um, the culture of arrogance, which often diminishes and, and minimizes black and brown folks and communities of color. So what are the community solutions that we can lift up? One of them clearly being midwifery, doulas, et cetera. And then I think the other important change is narrative change. Um, there is a narrative about doom and gloom in Black maternal health that I think doesn't serve anyone. Um, and so that is the other side of the work we do um, with the Birthright Podcast. We are telling joyful Black birthing stories to learn from that. Just uh, recently for Black Maternal Health Week, we launched an instructional tool for doctors and nurses all based on the analysis of 23 transcripts, learning from joy um, instead of just dire statistics and when we're dying. And so the narrative change piece is critical so that doctors know it's possible. They can stop problematizing black and brown women and we can show that we can learn from something else besides dire statistics and, and death and mortality. All right. Kimberly Seals Allers is an award-winning journalist, author, and host of the Birthright podcast, as well as founder of the app Earth. And Helena Grant is president of the New York State Association of Licensed Midwives. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Tiziana Deering. This is On Point. <laughs>